0: Since the pandemic started, uh, no, and I have way. exercised zero times, which makes me infuriated because I feel like I, <laughs> you lucky duck. I think it's honestly just because stress. of stress, like, which is not the good way to. <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> but but yeah, it's I think just the stress of like you know business stuff and then the pandemic and moving, moving and buying a house and it just like yeah. And Casey lost ten pounds. It's like ridiculous so and it's hot the it's summer very you lose hot. so much weight in the summer yeah, too, because you're just not eating as much yeah well I'm not eating because I'm stressed and then I'm also not eating <laughs> because I'm busy it's hot yeah. so and
1: you can't just like run to the store no <laughs> because like you have to like plan out an entire week I think I just got food coloring on my face oh my gosh whatever uh, today I was driving past a park and there were I shit you not these three old ladies cleaning up the park in face <laughs> masks blaring shake rattle and roll what <laughs> I was like... What park was it? It was like just that one on like Fullerton. like Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. Fullerton Elementary. I was like, (laughs) what is happening? It was the greatest, but I didn't make it up because the kids were with me. And now we can tell that story forever. They were jamming out together. They were like, you know what? We're retired. Let's go clean a park and listen to jams.
0: It's so sweet. (laughs) I remember when I was a kid, um, me and Brittany Dykes... Um, wow! <laughs> I, know. Um, I was like I'm gonna clean up this neighborhood and also I love roller skating <laughs> so me and Brittany Dykes put on our roller skates and we just rollerbladed around Hamilton picking up trash oh my gosh you could have had like a career at a diner I know I could have been one of those like child activists that everybody's talking about I could have been on Ellen it's great so she didn't have a show then it's fine <laughs> Did she not? When did she start? I, I don't, did her whole episode. I forget episode you're on a lot younger
1: than me. Yeah, she probably had a show in the 90s. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure I feel like
0: sure. she did. I don't no, know. Because when
1: did that episode come out? The puppy love episode was probably in like I 92 I think that was like
0: 1993.
1: Yeah, okay. So, so she didn't have a talk show yet. Yeah, <laughs> but she was a thing. She was still a thing. Yes, you're right. <laughs> Um, but we're not here to talk about Ellen DeGeneres no, today. we not already today. did that. Yeah, that's we did time. that. Go
0: listen to that episode. <laughs> we're here to talk about history On <laughs> the box. With Katie. And Allie. And this is a podcast where we talk about famous women in history. And we talk about
1: good women and bad women and fictional women and non-fictional women from all times and places because women have
0: nuance. hmm But it's important to note that we're not historians. No. And we are drinking the entire time. Yes. <laughs> And we got most of our information where everybody else says from the internet, so. right? Or <laughs> false musicals, yeah, exactly. So if we're wrong, bully on the internet. That's not right. our fault. It isn't our so... fault. Or
1: sometimes we're just really <laughs> drunk, and it is our fault. That's true. That's like when I said Ireland
0: fault. and Northern Ireland we're on different islands. God, that was my favorite. You're like I'm a geography I'm, teacher, I'm so I'm hundred I know. percent sure. <laughs> <laughs> It was great. Oh, um, my gosh. Fantastic. It's like when anyone asks me a question about radon, I'm like, I know that I'm literally a professional, but I don't know the I, answer to your I question. I can't tell you. Um. <laughs> so, but you might be testing for radon in your own home. Which means you can't open the windows. You can't open the windows. So your hands are sweaty. Your phone's going to slip out of your hands. So you cannot look up what these women look like. You can't. <laughs> so we're going to talk about what these women look like. So you can get a picture in your head while we're telling their story. We're going to get a little physical, physical. Allie, who are you covering tonight and what does she look like?
1: Well, I need to put out there that this is our July episode, Mm -hmm. our July 4th celebration episode, and also the musical Hamilton is coming on Disney Plus like tomorrow. Yes. So you heard it here first. I am doing Elizabeth Hamilton. So exciting. Star-spangled
0: extravaganza. Yeah. This
1: is Excellent. It's our our politics episode. As
0: if we don't ever talk about
1: politics. Um, There's a famous portrait of Elizabeth Schuyler or Elizabeth Hamilton known as Eliza um, painted in like 1780 that shows her in a Marie Antoinette style wig with a veil and like a silver gown. She has a bit of a hooked nose and a cleft chin. Her lips were pressed tightly together, but you can see that there's like a sparkle in her eye. Like she definitely had to have some sort of cool energy to catch Alexander Hamilton's attention because he's a bogus dude. Yeah. (laughs) She was in life a brunette, but she powdered her hair like a high class woman would do. And she was rather short in stature uh, and was described as having black eyes. In the original Broadway cast, she's played by Philippa Sue who had her Broadway debut right out of Juilliard into being Eliza Hamilton. Are you kidding me? Yeah.
0: Isn't that wild? That's bananas. So
1: we see her. There was also like a 1930-something film about Alexander Hamilton where some okay. woman plays her, but I didn't recognize the name, so I was like, whatever. Philippa Su is the only one anybody really cares about right now. Absolutely. <laughs> and you'll see her tomorrow <laughs> on Disney+. Plus. <laughs> okay, yeah. who are you doing and what do they look like?
0: I am doing Leslie Nope, oh, <laughs> who we reference way too often so on this often. podcast.
1: <laughs> Heavy last week on the Parks and Rec. Yes, uh, I think it's because we knew this was coming up. I think so too. Okay,
0: <laughs> so Leslie is five two with a trim figure, blonde hair, which sometimes goes from like platinum to more natural blonde. Um, typically parted to the side and curled. She really, I don't think ever has it straight. No, never. But she does have like, you know, bangs sometimes and she parts in the middle sometimes, but mainly to the side and curled. She has almond shaped wide set eyes, a petite nose and thin lips and can typically be seen in a nice pantsuit. And so she's Amy Poehler. She's Amy Poehler. <laughs> <laughs> and I think she has, she has blue eyes, right? Yeah, I think yeah, so. Blue eyes. And Maybe. like the one of the things I love about Leslie Nope's face is that. Whenever she's excited, her eyes get so big and Mm. excited. And I just think she just, like her character, has this bright, beautiful, positive face. So that's what she looks like. All about the politics tonight. (laughs) All right. So I want to know what we are about to drink. Okay. So this is called the Anything But Helpless, which Mm -hmm. Helpless
1: is one of Eliza's title songs in Hamilton. And it is either in the bottom of a champagne flute, put a little tiny bit of sugar or a sugar cube, pour an ounce of absinthe over it, top it with rosé, bubbly rosé, and then add in three like separate pieces of lemon twists. Okay. Well, cheers. cheers. Mm. Refreshing. Like, mm-hmm. I love a cold. I love anything with
0: champagne on I it. I know. Uh, what's this funny is mine barefoot. also has champagne.
1: Great, <laughs> that's great. We needed that tonight.
0: Yes, we did. We needed it's... something fun and celebratory. Yeah, because
1: um, I mean, as everybody saw on the internet this week, my daughter burned her body oh off <laughs> on a fire pit. So,
0: just so everyone knows, Caroline is doing okay. She is. But it was just a very scary weekend. Is I mean, I, I know that I'm just the aunt, and yeah. I was, like, crying in my car all day. <laughs> yeah. it's uh It's been crazy.
1: Didn't get a lot of sleep. Didn't do a lot of stuff. Have not been posting on social yeah. media as much. It's just, like, it's wild, you know, when your kid gets hurt. It's weird. Yeah. Well, it's, like,
0: I don't know. I mean, I don't know what it's like, but... No, you do. You're an aunt. It counts. Yeah.
1: Um, and I mean, I mean, everybody, all of you who have commented on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, it's so kind. Yes. She's yeah. doing well. Yeah. Um, and now I just have to keep her out of a pool for the next couple weeks <laughs> during July. Really hard for Caroline. <laughs> oh, it's the worst. I'll have to pick crabs for her and yeah. stuff. It's going to be a mess, but I'll get it done. <sighs> all right. Tell me what you know about Eliza, Skylar Hamilton
0: okay so I know that she is a sister to Angelica and Peggy and Peggy (laughs) (laughs) um I have not listened to the whole soundtrack but I have listened to most of it and the Skylar sister songs are always my favorite yeah they're very fun um and I know that her dad was like a wealthy man in um I think like New York And she met Alexander Hamilton at a ball and they like fell in love. And but I think so the musical kind of alludes to Angelica was really in love with Alexander Hamilton. And then but I think in real life, it's like there are some letters like maybe that was true. But then like she just kind of moved to England or something like that. So but but yeah, as far as Eliza goes. I don't know for sure. I think though that she did eventually find out that Hamilton was cheating on her. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's like my base knowledge. Um, I don't know exactly what went down between them because I didn't get to the end of the soundtrack. But (laughs) (laughs) it's cool. Well, tonight on the or today on the way home, you
1: should listen to just the last song. Okay, because that's all about her.
0: Okay, perfect. (laughs) Um,
1: But yeah, it's it's interesting because the musical does, and I'll I'm going to throughout. Not track the musical, but talk about differences within it. Like, here's what actually happened. Here's what the musical said happened. Yeah. And that's totally okay. Because when you create a historical fiction, you need to cram so many years into one small thing. You ha- you can't introduce all the characters. Yeah, no. So, um, in my research, um, much of what most people know about Alexander Hamilton is from Lin-Manuel Miranda's musical or his face on the $10 bill but that was based on a biography about the Hamiltons by Ron Chernow, and that was based on the writing that Eliza Hamilton insured was collected organized and edited after her husband died so the reason that we have information about alexander hamilton is solely because of her shit because he had a lot of political enemies and people were ready to just bury after he died they were like whatever get rid of it we don't need it oh my god um so she she really pioneered making sure his story was told so i obviously have listened to the hamilton musical a million times um I read a historical fiction called I Eliza Hamilton which is told from her perspective um shortly after his death in the duel with Aaron Burr and it kind of recounts her meeting him and learning of him. I also read an article called what Eliza Hamilton left behind like her mark on America. And then I listened to a history chicks episode where they interviewed and they don't have an episode on Eliza or on the Skylar sisters because there's not enough information about those girls yet in about 10 years. We're going to have so many books about them, but it was a they were interviewing an author that was in the middle of writing a book about the Schuyler sisters okay. because they were like, everybody's asking us and there's just not enough information for
0: us to do an episode because yeah. they dig so deep. Yeah. Well, and that's what I think is funny about our two people tonight is that I feel like Eliza Schuyler feels more fictional than Leslie Nope. Yeah. because we don't have like any record of her all we have is really this musical right now
1: and i would say that i don't i don't know that people cared about her very much aside from the people who she directly impacted yeah which is world which we'll talk about yeah so elizabeth schuyler was born in Albany, New York, on August 9th, some sources said August 7th, in 1757. She was the second daughter of the Colonial Army General Philip Schuyler. He was a Revolutionary War general, he was a member of the Continental Congress, he was appointed as a major general, which made him pretty much third in command to Washington. Um, Catherine Van Rensselaer was her mother and her mother's family was one of the richest and most powerful and politically influential families in the whole state of New York. So they are like big time. Mm -hmm. Eliza, um, as she was called most times, sometimes she was called Betsy specifically by Alexander Hamilton because he just doesn't like to go with the green. Never. (sighs) She was never called Lizzie.
0: Yeah. That reminds me of, um, how Don Draper used to call, uh, Betty birdie. yes, Just like this thing that no one else called them except mm-hmm. for their partner.
1: Yeah. I mean, even her tombstone says Eliza on it. Yeah. And like a lot of books put her down as Betsy because that's what he called her. Yeah. And it's like, that was a pet name. Yeah. I mean, and I'm sure there may have been other people who called her that, but she went mostly by Eliza or Elizabeth. Okay. Um, she though is not one of three girls. Oh, they had 14 children. Oh my God god in total too many is 11 of them lived to adulthood obviously this includes famous angelica schuyler very intelligent and witty as fuck <laughs> and margaret or peggy schuyler who was the prettiest of the sisters young and super funny she was just known as being so rambunctious. Other siblings, this is not all of them, but other ones included John, Philip, Cornelia, Catherine. There were definitely boys. Something that the musical says is, you know, that Angelica was the oldest, and her father didn't have any sons, and that's just not true. She was yeah. the oldest, but there were boys in the family. Yeah, and the New York Cityest. Yeah, and and the <laughs> gossipist. <laughs> but that doesn't make her one of any less. So. <laughs> Her family were, Eliza's family were really wealthy Dutch landowners who, and okay, the first three were girls. It was okay. Angelica, Eliza, and Peggy, and they were all only a year apart. Okay. So they were the three so oldest. So they were like the three
0: older crew. Yes. Okay,
1: So- her family was extremely wealthy came from extremely wealthy Dutch landowners who came to Albany in the 1600s. So they were old money and Mm. well-regarded her family did own slaves and Eliza grew up around slavery, which we try to wipe away from Northern history. Yeah, we do, but it's true. Um, and the Schuyler family was kind to their slaves and treated the children as playmates as they grew up, but that does not make it okay. Mm -mm. Um, and both Eliza and Alex were very anti-slavery in adulthood. Mm, good. So that's kind of a positive change that took place. Obviously, them thinking that did not have any effect until the mid-1800s, long past Alex was dead. She and her siblings also traded and interacted with Native American tribes and children in the region. Because they lived in Albany, it wasn't like a big city, so there were a lot of Native Americans living around their house. So they were just really ingrained in different cultures. Mm-hmm the unrest during the French and Indian war had happened around their home in Albany. And her dad was a general. So from a young age, not only was she accustomed to political talk, but also officers coming in and out of her home and watching her father confide political secrets in her mother. So she would watch how they acted as husband and wife and thought that they did a great job really being equals. And the mother would like, like, yeah, like keep those secrets. Um, she did not though have an untainted childhood her family home the one they had two her family home she loved the most (laughs) was burned down by the british during a retreat fortunately like i said they were rich so they had another house to go to Mm -hmm. but she watched her mother walk outside and set fire to the fields so the british wouldn't have any supplies oh my god so you know Regardless of all this stuff, she grew up very comfortable learning how to read and write and sew from her mother. Angelica was favored in this regard. She was the smartest and therefore her parents got her tutors as if she was a boy. Um, Angelica spoke French and was very able to flirt and have conversations in all men's business. Eliza was less than a year younger, but was not jealous at this at all. She foresaw herself as being a homemaker and wanted that in a profound way. She could also play the piano and was very musical. So they just had very different talents and were just best friends. Like, so they were different. Eliza grew up in a very religious Dutch family and was baptized and raised with an unwavering faith. Yet, she was the daughter of a general, so she had outside influences. Her father was close friends with General Washington, and she met Ben Franklin as a child. She had all of the ins with all of the people. Men of all ranks would stay at her parents' house in New York when they were traveling between places. It does seem like her dad had a bit of a fall from grace. He was blamed for a really important loss in a battle Mm. um, where the American forces had to retreat Um, so he kind of, like, resigned from the army, but George Washington still kept him on the Continental Congress, so his house was still used for passing troops and patriots to kind of sleep there, um... She was a bit of a tomboy as a kid, strong, impulsive. One of Washington's aides after observing her as like a like a teen said, she had a strong character. She was deep and warm, but there was something glowing underneath her skin that was bursting through at all times. Mm. So that's not the way you picture her in the no, musical. She seems very laid back and Angelica seems that way. Yeah. And I tend to believe that all three of those girls were that way. Yeah, um, Just with different strengths. So she was a bubble about to explode for sure. Eliza, Peggy, and Angelica would have fussed over fineries. They would have danced at balls with young soldiers. It would have been like a picturesque Jane Austen novel. Yeah. For sure. Except, of course, without the tea because of the taxes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) There wouldn't have been any of that. Um, In early 1780, Eliza went to stay with her Aunt Gertrude in Morriston, New Jersey. This is where she came across Alexander Hamilton, a officially she was about 22 or 23 years old he had visited her home and spent the night two years earlier just as a soldier passing through and they may have had a brief encounter but it was probably like no recognition like
0: right yeah you
1: came to my parents house because all soldiers did you look the same as the rest of them like in and out in and out um this time though hamilton was one of george washington's important aides and was stationed in morrison the same winter that eliza was there While Eliza um, was there, she also became close friends with Martha Washington, who she saw as an ideal woman. She was like an older mentor to her. um, And they stayed close friends through all of their husband's political careers Mm. up till both of their husband's deaths. (laughs) The relationship between Eliza and Alexander grew very quickly, even though their timelines only overlapped a very little bit. And they continued to write continuous letters to one another. Alexander has a way with words and a way with speaking and writing, but he was a fucking wild card. This was a gutsy relationship. In fact, in Mount Vernon, and I learned that this is in the musical, but I also learned this at Mount Vernon when I went on a tour there. Martha Washington, there was like a feral male cat that like banged all the other cats. And she called him Alex. Like, she named (laughs) the cat Alex. Like, he was sowing his oats before he met Eliza. Yeah. Okay. He was out for every girl and could talk himself into anybody's pants. Furthermore, he was an orphan and had no money and no fame and no family. He, yeah. So he and she was a lady. This was not a person that you would marry as the yeah. respectable daughter of a general under George Washington. Right. But he had kind of worked his way to the top. The musical would have you believe that Angelica set up Alexander Hamilton and Eliza. But Angelica didn't meet him until well after
0: Eliza did. Oh, really? She yes. was not the Winter's Ball?
1: No. Okay. Um so They got surprising permission, actually, from her father, who Alexander had also wooed with his words, and they were engaged to be married by April. So they had met in winter, and then they were engaged, like, almost immediately. And, I mean, people were shocked. They were like, how did she tie him down? Like, he's a nutter. Like, I cannot believe it. This is um, also surprising because two of the Schuyler daughters, Angelica and Catherine, eloped because their father would not give permission oh, on pairings. Okay. So the fact that he approved of Alexander, who was the lowest of the men they were asking yeah. for, was, like, a very weird thing. It was, huh. like, he, for some reason, impressed Philip Schuyler when these other, like, men did not. Yeah. Um. I should also here probably bring up the relationship between that you alluded to between Angelica and Alexander. There is definitely a notable flirtation that you can see in letters um, and from recollections from other people. But Angelica was married before Eliza even met Hamilton. She wasn't single at the time at all. (laughs) She, she was married and the musical would have you believe she gave up Hamilton for her sister, um, and married someone else. And that just isn't true. Now, some historians say that she eloped and kind of like wishes, like, oh, maybe if I had just waited, like, you know, I'm only a year older, maybe he would have went for me if I waited like one second to marry this other guy. Um, now there is serious speculation that Angelica and Alexander had more than an in-law relationship, but there's no proof of that. Okay. There is a letter between Angelica to Eliza that said, if you were as generous as the old Romans, you would lend him to me for a while. Oh, (laughs) so like that's, I don't know if that's sister banter or what, Yeah. (laughs) but like, you don't really ask your sister to lend your fiance over. No, that's weird. (laughs) Yes. Super weird. But I guess, I don't know. They didn't have Twitter, so.
0: Yeah. <laughs> they couldn't slide into each other's DMs. Right. So. Um, Eliza
1: loved, loved, loved Alexander Hamilton. Like, mm. her desire and honor was for him all the time. It was strong and profound. Alexander kind of liked her. <laughs> we, oh. can't, we can't really tell. Some of his love letters are super passionate. And, like, there's these beautiful phrases and poems. And, like, he wrote in a letter to her... I meet you in every dream and when I wake, I cannot close my eyes for ruminating on your sweetness, which is so beautiful. And the things he did proved that he loved her. Like when Benedict Arnold committed treason, major John Andre was there as well, who was a young family friend of Eliza's when they were kids and, or when they were teens. Mm -hmm. And he Begged George Washington to give him a lighter sentence for Eliza. He was like, "Please don't do this oh, to him." Gosh. I mean, he did. He got he got hung, but yeah. like a Eli- like Alexander Hamilton was there, like pushing for her yeah. in those hard moments. But then, in a letter to a male friend, he said, "Though not a genius, she has a good sense enough to be agreeable, and though not a beauty, she has fine black eyes, is rather handsome, and has other requisite of the exterior that make a lover happy." Hmm. So that's rude. Yeah, that is (laughs) a
0: little rude.
1: I guess if you don't know you're going to be a founding father, you don't know all your letters are going to be published. Probably not. But (laughs) I I just, that's not very kind. No, it's not. (laughs) Especially to say about your fiance. Yeah. December 14th, 1780, Alexander and Eliza were married at her family mansion. They had a short honeymoon at the Pastures, and then Alexander returned to military service. Eliza soon joins him at New Windsor, where the army was stationed and fell into the role of army wife. Moving when she had to, being friends with First Lady Washington, who wasn't the First Lady yet, but pretty much. Her Excellency's husband, Mm -hmm. His Excellency. Alex was you know, a force to be reckoned with and has a fight with George Washington. And they move back to Albany for a while and live with her parents. And then they build a new house back near where Washington is in the new Windsor headquarters. And Eliza just busied herself with setting up a household. Um, She helped Alexander with his political writings. For example, parts of his 31 page letter about his financial plans for the country were in her handwriting. So either she recopied them over or was his scribe while he was talking Soon, though, Eliza moved back again in with her parents, and we presume this is the time she realized she was pregnant, and she doesn't want to be in army barracks. Oh, okay. She has her first child, Philip, the following January. While apart, Alex wrote her letter after letter after letter. This man wrote her page after page after page, and she was like, it was hard for me to keep up. Like, I couldn't even write back to all the things he was writing. I don't know how he found time there are love letters there are military secrets including plans for the battle of Yorktown which doesn't oh,
0: seem safe to me no I'm like that's like my gosh really I mean, bad that idea what, that's I how mean, we won the fucking war right who is who found whose thing in the cigar cigar thing right? that's like a civil war thing
1: Oh, there was like a a paper rolled up in a cigar. Yeah. I feel like it was like
0: Robert E. Lee's cigar or something like that. that And they they found found. the
1: plans for the South. Yeah. Mm. And it's like, that's just really not safe. I guess right now, though, like, I don't know. I guess they didn't have the same like thing about intercepting people's letters and stuff, which they did. That's how they found out Benedict Arnold was like a spy. Yeah. So I don't know. It just seems unsafe to me. (laughs) But I guess maybe people didn't write stuff like that to their wives. I don't know. But after the Battle of Yorktown, Eliza and Alex could come back together in Albany. It should also be noted that in this time, Angelica and her husband moved to Europe. And the letters continued between Alexander and Angelica. And as they allude in the musical, there is some weird comma placement. So like instead of being like. The, the one, the uh, example they use in the music musical is my dearest Angelica comma, but that's not where he put the comma. It was my dearest comma uh, Angelica. And there are other instances of that in his writing where people are like, if you read it with the correct comma pauses, they're love letters. Yeah, which is very weird. But maybe it was like just a flirty thing with your wife's older sister. But that seems so disgusting and yeah. rude and
0: super inappropriate and unnecessary. Flirt- yeah, if my husband flirted
1: <laughs> with my best friend all the time, I would yeah. be so pissed. Yeah, no, that's really. I exciting. would be like, you really need to stop. Um, but right after that, Eliza gave birth to her second child and named it. At the girl after her sister, which is why I think there was nothing going on. Okay. She named her second child, Eliza and women are smart and perceptive. Like, yeah, you, she would have figured it out. So I also want to point out, I'm not going to talk about every single birth. Uh, Eliza had eight children by oh Alexander. Hamilton. So we'll get to some of them, but like, I'm not going to piece out like, and now she had another baby. She yeah. had lots of fucking babies. She loved being a mom. It was awesome for her. I hate it. <laughs> In addition to their own children though, Eliza and Alexander took in a two-year-old girl named Fanny, whose mother had recently died and only had a father and older siblings. They kept her for ten years until one of her older siblings got married and could legally take her back. Mm-hmm. And while she was with the Hamilton, she was edicated, educated oh. <laughs> <laughs> educated. <laughs> she was educated and treated with all the niceties of being a Hamilton. So that's super cool, and this is is when Eliza found her true passion, because this is what her life is going to be, saving children. Okay. The Hamiltons had an active social life after the war. I mean, other than being Revolutionary War heroes. Right. At the first inaugural ball, Eliza shared a dance with George Washington. That's so cool. I know. (laughs) When Thomas Jefferson returned home from France, he came over to their house for dinner, when Alex became Secretary of Treasury her political and home duties increased Um, she was with other political wives the like official upper class of American society right it was like you want to be one of these ladies they're the founding women right Eliza also continued to help Alexander's political career. She acted as the intermediary while he wrote the Federalist Papers, which were supposed to be anonymous. So she would, like, drop them off at the publisher, which your wife's not that anonymous, but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> she copied portions of his defense of the banks of the United States. And she would sit up and listen to Alex read his ideas and Washington's mm. farewell address, which he wrote... Over and over again helping him tweak it. Mm. Um, so he wrote the final words that Washington would give as his on his last day as president. And this has been heavily disputed throughout history because Madison wrote an earlier version that Washington did not use. And then Alexander wrote a new version that was used, and people thought Alexander Hamilton like edited Madison's version, but it's not. It's okay. solely his writings solely um, and Eliza's tweaks. Okay. <laughs> All the while. She's raising five children and picking up and moving each time she needs to, to New York City, to Albany, to Philly. She is all over the place. And then in 1794, Eliza suffers her first miscarriage. Mm. And this crushes her. Mm. It is horrible. I don't know how far along she was, but by the way they talk about it, and it really doesn't matter how far along you are emotionally, but... Physically seeing something is very crushing and it kills her. And then her youngest child gets really, really sick, and Alex resigns from political office. And immediately afterwards, he resumes a law practice in New York so he can be close to his wife because he saw how much it hurt her. However, dickhead, around this time, a young woman named Mariah Reynolds approached Alexander Hamilton for monetary aid. While Eliza was visiting family in upstate New York with her children, Alex was in his mid-30s and Mariah Reynolds was in her early 20s. Both were married. A several-month extramarital affair occurred between the two that Eliza knew nothing about, but um, Mariah's husband found out and began to blackmail Alexander Hamilton for monthly money. He was paying him about a third of his annual salary a year. Oh my God. To keep his mouth shut. Now, as we said earlier, Hamilton's not really a great guy. So he had some serious uh, political enemies like Thomas Jefferson and James Monroe, who really did not believe in federalism. They were anti federalists. They were continually trying to dig dirt up on him. So they start seeing all this money go out of Hamilton's ledger. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! he's got to be doing something illegal. Like he's funneling money out of the Uh, government. The problem was to prove himself innocent of political fraud, he had to admit to the affair. And to keep it in his own power, he had to do it in his own words. So in 1979, like six or seven years after the affair, he's been pegging this family. Alexander publishes the Reynolds pamphlet, And did not tell Eliza first. Oh my God. He publicly told the world in 95 pages with serious detail about cheating on his wife and paying off another husband without telling Eliza he's going to publish it in the paper.
0: That's so terrible. It's humiliating. I mean... I feel like that happened to, like, somebody else in, like, a TV show or something where, like, all of a sudden they just, like, find out in, like, a very public place that they have been cheated on. It's like, like Beyonce's
1: Lemonade album.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, my like, God. I, I cannot.
1: I don't understand. I, how, how could you live with that? Like, I don't know. And especially because it happened in your home. It happened right under your nose. Yeah. Like, he married up. Do you know what I mean? Like he had no right. And you never have right to do that, obviously. But it was such a problem. Eliza had just had a miscarriage and she was pregnant with their child because he had gone years without telling her about this affair. And she was like, you know what? Fuck you. And left him. (gasps) She went to her parents' house in Albany where her newest son was born. She did eventually end up coming back to their marital home, but it was not for Alexandra Hamilton. It was because her oldest child, Philip, was sick with typhus and they needed New York doctors, New York City doctors. What's worse is her son, Philip, got into a fight with somebody over the affair and he was challenged to a duel. And her son died during this (gasps) duel in 1801. What? So her son is dead because her husband cheated on her.
0: Yeah, that's a direct correlation.
1: What the fuck? So she's just like in all the pain. Um, He did die with both of his parents by their sides. He made it there. And then immediately after, she had her younger child, who she named Philip in his honor. So her oldest and youngest sons were both named Philip. but she had like a brief breakdown after her son died. She didn't talk for a long time. She was like mute for a little bit. Everything was like, and you can't find much about that, but people like write about it sometimes. And it's just like finding out your husband cheats on you and then having your son being murdered because he cheated on you is like the worst. No, absolutely. And then (sighs) Alexander commissions a mansion to be built for their family because now he's all cuddly. Good. Thanks for that. Um, the house is in like upper Manhattan. It's called the Hamilton Grinch after, um, Alexander's father's home in Scotland. And they attempt to reconcile their marriage and they live there for two years happily. But then
0: Alexander gets in the most famous duel. He didn't learn from his son's accident. I know, right? I I legitimately do not understand duels. It seems like
1: they were illegal.
0: Do you want to, do you want one of us to get murdered? Like, I don't understand them.
1: Not to mention, Aaron Burr was the fucking vice president. Yeah. What was he doing? What is he doing? Murdering people. <laughs> like, whatever. I mean, our president currently rapes people, so I guess I can't. True. Like, things haven't changed. Ugh. But, okay. So he gets in a duel and then gets shot over a petty insult and dies. And now Eliza's a single mother with seven children. Not to mention, her one of her daughters had suffered a severe mental breakdown after losing her older brother and father and reverted to a childhood brain, which that remained the rest of her life. No, So now Eliza is like giving care to this child who is like reverted into this like psychotic state.
0: And I'm sure that people were not treating her very well because of it. And it was kind of, I'm sure it turned out to be kind of like a family shame of like, we don't talk about you know, Rebecca or yeah. whatever it's, it's it was. It's just
1: such a mess because it all could have been avoided if he kept his dick in his pants. Exactly. And um, that isn't all. That in Ugh. a span of three years, Eliza's mother, father, and two of her younger siblings, including Peggy and John, also died um, in the wake of her son and husband's death. After his death, she, like I said, is a single mother of seven with a new mansion and all of Hamilton's debt. So their new house has to be sold on public auction. However, the executors of the will felt that it was not a good idea to kick out a single mother. So good on you. Thank you. And they bought it so that she could eventually buy it back from them at half price, which is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Like they tried to help her out. And she lived there for a really long time until the age of 76. Eliza ends up reselling the house that Alex built for $25,000, which sounds like nothing now. Yeah. It's still there. You can go visit it. It's a, it's a like museum to the, the Hamiltons in Manhattan. Um, But it helped her funding buying this townhome, this townhome estate in New York that she lived in with two of her kids and their spouses, Alex Hamilton Jr. and Eliza Hamilton Holly. So she lived with them in this area. Only two years later, uh, oh, only two years after Alexander died, she, along with several other women founded the Orphan Asylum Society, which was the first private orphanage in New York City. Eliza was at first the vice president of that institution and then served as the president of it for 27 years. She worked there for a total of 42 years. She raised funds, secured donations like food and blankets. She supervised and educated 765 children. One in particular, Henry McCavitt, His parents died in a fire. Eliza personally paid for his schooling and got him in a military placement in West Point. When he died, he left all of his money to the orphanage as a thank you to Eliza for mothering him. The orphanage still exists today and is called Graham Winham, and they are accepting donations to the Eliza Project, which is obviously great because of this um, musical. Yeah. (laughs) So it's pretty much right now a social services institution in New York. It is the oldest nonprofit welfare agency in America that still exists um and one of her last lines in the musical is can i show you what i'm proudest of i established the first private orphanage in new york city eliza spent a lot of time other than having her orphanage defending her dead husband (laughs) against his critics in a variety of ways following his death um he could have been erased from history without her and they would have done it because he wasn't a president. He's one of the very few other than Ben Franklin founding fathers that was never president. Hmm. So they were ready to just be like, it doesn't fucking matter. Like get him out of here. So she supported his claims that he wrote Washington's farewell address. She Mm -hmm. seeked a full apology from James Monroe for pushing her husband to admit the affair in the newspaper She petitioned Congress to publish her husband's writings, his letters, his speeches, his newspaper articles, his Federalist Papers. She found and organized them and then had her son edit them, and they agreed to buy them and put them in the Library of Congress. Mm. Um, Her son went on, with her help and her anecdotes, to publish a book called History of the Republic of the United States of America, as traced in the writings of Alexander Hamilton and his contemporaries. She was so devoted to Hamilton and his writings that she wore a sonnet that he had sent her folded up in a locket around her neck for the rest of her life. The um, writings from Hamilton took a lot of extreme effort to make sure that they got where they were supposed to because he wrote every single day and Mm -hmm. we would not have... All of these without her. Eliza was able to collect Hamilton's pension from the military. And then when she was done in New York and working with the orphanage, she moves to Washington, D.C. with her widowed daughter. Eliza was in her 90s and still dedicated to charity work while living in Washington, D.C. She helped Dolly Madison and Louisa Adams raise money to build the Washington Monument on the National Mall. What? That's crazy. I know. She made sure that got done because of her respect for the Washingtons. At the Cornerstone Laying Ceremony on July 4th, 1847, Eliza rode in procession alongside President Polk and future presidents James Buchanan, Abraham Lincoln, and Andrew Jackson.
0: Hold on. This is... She's still alive in 1848. You're... I just, like... The founding fathers and Abraham Lincoln seem so separate to me. Yeah, she was still
1: alive when Abraham Lincoln is in Washington, like working it up.
0: Oh my gosh, I got like chills. I that's know cr- that's so. I again, I know nothing about American history. The
1: timeline is so much closer when you look at her story. Yeah, it's I mean,
0: crazy. It's also though how I feel about the civil rights movement. I'm like. Our parents were alive (laughs) (laughs) for that. Exactly. Parents Exactly. And like we're trying to pretend like we shouldn't like that everything is solved because it was so long ago. And and it wasn't. No. And and
1: and the same is true of this situation. It's like she went through she was born around the time of the French and Indian War and then went through the revolution, the war of eighteen twelve, and then lived almost to the Civil War. She died before the Civil War, but, like, was alive in that time period, which is insane. She had, in her later life, became known as a philanthropist, which is crazy because she was born really rich and then lost everything because of her frivolous fucking husband, and then, which also had some good ideas about money and federal banking, right, and right. then, um, you know, is on a small, small, single-woman budget pension with seven kids and like one that has a psychotic breakdown and one is dead and like it's crazy um her time in dc was incredible she lived on h street h the letter street between 13th and 14th street which is near the white house hundreds of dignitaries came to pay their respects to her including president millard fillmore (laughs) She typically insisted that visitors drink from a silver wine like goblet thing that George Washington had given the family because she's like, I want everybody to drink from this thing that he touched, which is like cool for everybody because they're like, oh, my God, this woman danced with George Washington and she's fucking in front of me. Uh, she became a celebrated guest at the White House on a regular basis. Some visitors wanted to talk to her about new legislation, and some people just wanted to sit and bask in her glory. She was the last person left alive with ties to revolutionary America, and everybody wanted to talk to her. She was the most powerful woman in D.C., and she was never even a first lady. So, my bitch knew how to hold a grudge, though. <laughs> James Monroe never got her forgiveness or her presence uh, because of his involvement in the Reynolds affair. When he came to offer a truce, she refused to even offer him a seat. Mm. And she said, No lapse of time, no nearness to the grave makes any difference. That humiliation from publishing that affair was the fucking worst
0: thing in her life, and she was not having it. Well, because again, It didn't affect James Monroe's life at all. No, it didn't. Ultimately, I mean, obviously, like, it kind of affected Alexander Hamilton's life, but only because of stupid duels. Right. But, like, ultimately, she looks like an idiot. She looks like an idiot. She was affected the most, and she took it the hardest. Like, again, I'm here
1: having your eight goddamn children. Yeah. Where are you at? Yep. So, at the end of her life, um, she was suffering from short term memory loss. So, that she was really great with remembering historical events about her husband. She did die in Washington, D.C. in 1854 at the age of 97. Oh my God!
0: 97. She outlived her husband by 50 years. And we only know her name because of Lynn Manuel Miranda. Right, exactly. Um,
1: she was buried in Trinity Church in New York with her husband, her son, and her best friend's sister, Angelica. Mm. She did burn many of her love letters before she died from Hamilton because she felt that they were for her eyes and her heart only. Mm. In fact, most of her correspondence did not survive, so most of her personality is gleaned from what other people said about her. In Chernow's biography of Alexander Hamilton, who's the person that the musical is based off of his book, said, I think anyone else would have been broken. Not only did she live, she prevailed. Mm. And that's her story. You can go to Elizastory.org and donate to the orphanage. and. Broadway actors, including Philip Basu, established the Eliza Project to give young people at the orphanage access to music and the arts. That's so cool. And that's Eliza's lasting oh legacy. Gosh. So cool. That's our first Eliza on the show. <laughs> I love it. Not, our first, love it. Our, first Not our first Elizabeth, but our first, first Eliza. Not our first Elizabeth, but our first Eliza. It's, you know, she had, a, she had a... I mean, she had a profound husband. Yeah. I remember being heartbroken when i found out that martin luther king jr cheated on yeah. his wife and like realizing that like men just fucking suck at yeah. keeping it in their pants and yeah. it's like i don't
0: know that's the thing it's just a pro. it's just a problem throughout all of history because again men went for so long without facing literally any consequences for it besides maybe syphilis
1: yeah and i think so when i was the it put it in good perspective when i read i eliza hamilton because it is uh a historical fiction fiction and they can yeah. take some like fake narrative like mm-hmm. roles with it but you know she was she would say things in it like like i knew i i knew who he was but i was a lady yeah like and i can't act like that and yeah. it's just the cage that you put women in to like not express sexuality is the reason that men cheated yeah
0: and uh, yeah I don't know. Indiana but horror complex. she was,
1: yes, yeah, seriously. She was incredible. Yeah.
0: And that I was just, such a cool story.
1: Nobody, like, everybody just ties her to Alexander, but after he died, she did so much. Yeah. So much. Things That's that so are lasting cool. that she did. I mean, what did he make? The federal bank? Yeah. I <laughs> know he did a lot. Like, I can't, like, disregard yeah. that she was, like, a very important person, but she, like, did things on her she got to build her own identity because her famous husband died
0: yeah which is cool yeah that is cool (laughs) all right all right well Well, let's get some more drinks and we'll be back for more star-spangled extravaganza let's do it In a waffle incident we're back uh <laughs> i did take a trip down the stairs and i spilled a good bit See of my drink next fall See, I- <laughs> seriously um <laughs> but everybody i'm fine um our cocktails have waffles on them so i was kind of distracted it's so our I was, first waffle. i was also eating a waffle while i was going down <laughs> so now i'm and now i'm sticky and down, so are your down, stairs down, down, down. <laughs> yeah i love it okay okay So, back for part two.
1: Tell me what I'm drinking with this wonderful waffle.
0: This is called the Nope We Can.
1: (laughs) Are these waffles from Jerry's Diner or no?
0: (laughs) You mean JJ's? Oh, shit. (laughs) So, it is vodka, pink limoncello, maple syrup, a splash of mango juice, and then you top the whole thing with Prosecco, and then you garnish with a wedge from a waffle, I love it.
1: Cheers, cheers! <laughs> oh, it's delicious.
0: Very tasty.
1: I love it. I'm gonna dip my waffle mm. in yeah, it. Yeah, dip <gasps> your
0: waffle in it. This tastes really good. Yeah. I didn't, until
1: I swallowed and got the aftertaste, everybody try this one.
0: Mm. Mm. And really, it's like a mango smoothie because you can't really buy mango juice outright unless you like. And it's really not orange. It's the same color almost as my cocktail. Yeah, it is. Um. I thought it was good. my my goal was for it to be pink and then float the mango juice to the bottom and for it to be layered with pink and orange. Uh, that didn't happen. Didn't work
1: out. Um, but we're gonna have to. Now we're eating on Mike. We're I disgusting. Know. Whatever. We're gonna have to um come up with a separate Fourth of July cocktail. I know because these are not. I mean, the episode's great.
0: Episode is good. Very patriotic. <laughs> the um the drinks are not no. Because I was worried that you were going to do super patriotic drinks. I was like, oh, I'll do like a brunchy Valentine's Day drink. And then we both did rosé.
1: Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Listen,
0: maybe political ladies just like rosé. It's fine. Maybe. But mm, I really like the the maple and the mango together. My
1: mouth is confused by it. Yeah. But it does... For some reason, it does taste like waffles with syrup and whipped cream. It does. You did a nice job
0: on that. Thank good, you. good waffle cocktail. <laughs> Thank
1: you. Words I never thought I'd say.
0: <laughs> so, what do you know about Leslie Nope?
1: Okay, I know that Leslie Nope works in the parks
0: and rec department. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, she ends up with a job in like the federal government, Mm -hmm. like parks department. Mm -hmm. She has triplets Mm -hmm. towards the end of her life. She is blonde. Mm -hmm. She loves Madeline Albright. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She dates Louis CK. She (laughs) is a big old whopping feminist and loves her best friends and their decisions. Um, She's sometimes misguided, Mm -hmm. but has the best of intentions and is incredible. And I love her. And if we don't end the episode
0: singing Bye Bye Little Sebastian, (laughs) I don't
1: want to be friends (laughs) with you anymore.
0: (laughs) So all that is true. Okay. And but because, of course, Leslie is a fictional character from the show Parks and Rec, I cannot cover seven seasons of things. No, it's too much. So if I miss your favorite plot point, I really do apologize. But I think I have set up the episode in a in a nice lovely manner it's great so she's also really into sex education I forgot that okay so uh I honestly mainly just got this I got to watch a lot of Parks and Rec this week which was a really nice way to do research um and I just watched a lot of YouTube videos about her and there was one really cool article about how like the article was all about paralleling the ways that she and Tina Fey represented feminism in Mm. Parks and Rec and Um, and 30 Rock and I was like oh I love both of those shows and I love both of them so like this is gonna be great and so I like was reading the article and then I only got one page through and then I left and then came back the next day and the article was suddenly unavailable isn't that annoying I hate that it was really upsetting I guess it was all of a sudden you know not appropriate. I don't not appropriate. Well, so. do you
1: think that Amy Poehler would be insulted that we did an actual episode about Tina Fey and now we're doing an episode about Leslie? No,
0: <laughs> no because according to her book, yes, please. Um, Mike <laughs> sure like compliments her and he goes, I know you're going to hate this because you're going to think that it's a form of bragging. So I think that she would prefer that we do an episode on Leslie instead of her.
1: OK, good, because I think. Leslie Nope is incredible. I do too. My daughter, I my daughters love the show Parks and Rec. Yeah, and it's, it's so, so positive. Good. It's yes. so positive. To what like she has conversation. Oh my god, conversations with other women, not about men, and about men, and about women. Oh, it sorry. literally like
0: smashes the Bechdel test to pieces. It really does. So <laughs> Leslie Nope was born on January eighteenth, nineteen seventy five, to Robert Nope and Marlene Griggs Nope. We don't really know too much about her dad because he died. When she was just 10 years old, but we know that her mom is a high achieving public servant who works in the public school sector and is honestly kind of a bitch to Leslie, especially in the beginning of the show. Uh
1: (laughs) And hits on her fiance. Yes, super weird. (laughs)
0: I'm like not a big fan of her mom. Um, she gets like better, I think, as the show goes on. She's like but... a judge, right? No, she's like a superintendent of like the school board or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, like well, something like that. Something right like that, that. She would be a bitch. Yeah, <laughs> I work under this Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Leslie graduated in the top five percent of her class at Pawnee North High School where she was co-vice president of the student body and a member of the Model United Nations.
1: But she was born in Eagleton.
0: (laughs) Yes, she was. Um, She was a part of the Key Club, Debate Club, Mock Trial, Young Democrats, Young Independents. She was the founding member. Drama Club, Historical Society, Orchestra, Color Guard, and Junior Varsity Field Hockey. She is
1: one of those. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Junior Varsity. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Oh, she so then attended Indiana, um, in Indiana University, graduated summa cum laude from School of Environmental and Public Affairs, all leading to her getting hired by Ron Swanson, and almost fired many times, to work in the Parks and Recreation Depart- Department in Pawnee, Indiana.
1: And didn't he say he hated her? He was like, I hate her. If you don't fire her, you're an idiot. Yep. <laughs> or you don't hire her, you're an idiot. Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Leslie is passionate strong, loving, intelligent, dedicated, determined, and sometimes a little spiteful against things she despises, such as libraries and salad. (laughs) We see her grow immensely as a person over the course of the show. But the thing about Leslie is that like the rest of the show in the first season, she's not that great. And we didn't get to see those amazing attributes early. She's basically written in the beginning like the female Michael Scott making her failures and naivety the punchline of the show. Looking back it seems like very obvious that she was like being written to be kind of dumb, kind of like Michael was, but when Mike Shore, the creator of the show, who fun fact, played um Dwight's cousin. Oh my gosh, what is his name? Oh
1: my god, I know exactly who you're talking about.
0: So if you don't know like if you're like Mike Shore who's that? He is the creator of Parks and Rec, um, the good place, Brooklyn nine nine, uh there's another big one. Uh, he was a big like writer on oh my God, the he's Office. he's Dwight's
1: cousin. He like jumps out of bars. Yes,
0: like, I add people. <laughs> I cannot remember his name I right can't now. It's people so funny. are screaming it in their cars it's fine. right now. Scream it's gonna come it. to me. I love to hear your voice. Um, <laughs> So, um, he's a shrewd thrown through. He's a shrewd. So, but when he was asked about it, he was like, it was completely unintentional that she was coming across as ditzy. He was like, I wanted to write her as being really good at her job, but I honestly think that's so many years of writing Michael Scott. Like, <laughs> Maybe tainted the pot. So they made a decision after the first season not to change Leslie's personality, but to change the way that she interacted with the other characters and how they interacted with her. So people reacted now to her excitability and her passion, and her warmth with like kindness and warmth back rather than like annoyance. Right. right. You know, like it was kind of like instead of everybody looking to the camera like, oh my gosh, can you believe this shit that I have to put up with? It was like, oh, that's Leslie. And yeah. we love her for it.
1: And that's why, like, Mark Brandano was like, left the show. Yeah. He was like, I thought
0: this was going to be more like The Office. Exactly. Douche. So. <laughs> I don't even,
1: I don't know anything about that guy.
0: <laughs> and similar to how Amy Poehler, frankly, operates in her real life, Leslie operates and the show operates in the same way. So when they started to make Parks and Rec an ensemble cast... Instead of just the whole show focusing on Leslie, they brought other characters up and made them more dynamic and the show got more interesting and fun. So much better. Yeah. And if you read because like I did also get a lot of this from Yes, Please, the the book that she wrote, which is really good Um, because she talks a lot about how like you have to move forward with people. Like and that's what her whole career has been is been like like you'll notice that like a lot of celebrities like when they make movies it has the same people in each movie because they're like I want to bring you up with me like come do this movie with me you're so funny I don't care what the casting director says like I'm making this decision and And it's
1: funny because people like Donna have like no lines in the first season she's just like a background character
0: yeah it's unbelievable because I watched um the first season is only six episodes. Yeah, because it was so bad, <laughs> and and not really so bad. Like I still enjoyed it's watching up it. It's not part
1: of what R- Parks and Rec is.
0: Yeah, because again, they're not focusing on the other people. They're solely focusing on Leslie. Yeah, and stupid Mark Brandon Woods. <laughs> 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 so once they brought everyone else in, the show started to succeed. Even even if the goal of the show originally was to. Monitor the growth of just Leslie, Michael Schur said that one of the show's early titles was "The Education of Leslie Nope, because the show was always supposed to follow this young, enthusiastic public servant on her way to getting better at her job and achieving her dreams. And I think again, this is what we get in the first season: is a show solely focused on Leslie, and. It's really evident in her first love story, which reads very Michael Scott to me. She has a one night stand five years earlier with a notoriously bad character, Mark Brandanowitz, and she has completely infatuated him with him when he shows barely any affection or attention towards her. And she's seen as like oblivious and sad, which makes Mark come off as like mean and aloof. And the whole thing is like really uncomfortable and just a forgettable storyline, which is how the whole first season, all six episodes of the first season are.
1: Yeah. Most people feel that way. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But in the second season, we start to see Leslie and the amazing cast come into their own and create a show that will remain in our hearts and on our screens Forever because of its refreshing focus on love and positivity, which was not evident again in those first couple episodes. It was like, let's humiliate Leslie. I don't know if people knew it was going there. No, it's great. Yeah, it's so good. So in true Parks and Rec fashion, I am going to tell Leslie's story through things that she loves. And the first thing that she loves is the town of Pawnee.
1: She does.
0: (laughs) I wanted to start off where the show is set because it's the backdrop of the entire show and it completely encapsulates Leslie's dedication to things that don't always love her back. When we first meet Leslie, she is the deputy director of the Pawnee City Department of Parks and Recreation. She works under a man who is staunchly anti-government, Ron Swanson, and she is constantly trying to make waves with limited power and ability in an effort to prove herself and please her distant critical mother. (laughs) Her first small project is simply getting a drunk man out of a slide. And the first big project we see her tackle is the infamous Lot 48. The pit! The pit. Andy. A young nurse named Ann Perkins asks Leslie in a community meeting to fill it in after her boyfriend, Andy, <laughs> falls into it and breaks both of his legs. You mean Star Lord? Mm-hmm. And you can already see that Leslie's mind is just racing with ideas and she pinky promises to not only fill in the lot, but build a park on it. And I love the, the chapter in her book that talks about parks and rec is called Let's Build a Park. Yeah. It's so cute. And she will work on that lot for the remainder of the series. And it's kind of this constant reminder throughout the whole show that the government sucks. The government sucks (laughs) and it's slow, but Leslie loves it. And just another reminder that like much like so similar to all the other things on Pawnee, she puts so much effort into it and it just continues to disappoint her. (laughs) And Pawnee acts as this exaggerated example of the turn that the U.S. has kind of taken, been taking for a while (laughs) in terms of uh, distrust in the government, the extreme power that major corporations have, and people's attitude of defending those companies and these things that actively harm them. And this is evident in many things, including her battles with Marsha and Marshall Langman, the local Bible thumpers, local <laughs> chains, um, Paunch Burger, and the candy conglomerate that basically runs the town, Sweetums.
1: Come on, Sweetums. Bobby Newport. Ugh.
0: The townies are constantly rejecting her ideas to make their town better and do nice things. One of my favorites is the immense backlash over her marrying the two male penguins at the zoo. (laughs) (laughs) On accident! It is season two, episode one, and an amazing episode. I watched it literally right before I came here. (laughs) And it's just one of those, like, critical episodes where it's like the Pawneeans are so ridiculous and, like, Marsha Langman, it's her first appearance... And she's like, well, we'd like you to resign. And she's like, I mean, is that all? Like, that's like, such an extreme all to reaction. <laughs> they go on Joan Calamezzo's show, and I'm obsessed with it. I because love her. Joan might be my favorite. Actually, no, Pert is my favorite character.
1: <laughs> but Joan with her leopard print and her portrait <laughs> of herself. How can you not?
0: You heard with Pert.
1: <laughs> I will say, uh, though, that episode was very interesting for me because the Penguin episode I watched with my children they're like halfway through the series right now um maybe a little more than half but they did not understand why it wasn't okay for two male penguins to get married because their entire lives gay marriage has been legal so they didn't and i had to like explain to them that this was not something that was acceptable and if you were a politician who said it was acceptable you risked your entire political career yeah and they were just like i don't understand i was a good don't. Yeah, <laughs>
0: I don't want you to do I feel like it's kind of how I felt when I learned that interracial marriage wasn't always legal. I was like, but why? <laughs> it just seems like this absolutely ridiculous idea mm. because it is ridiculous that people aren't allowed to marry who they want, you know? And I just, yeah, it's, I love though that kids now are growing up in this world where like that doesn't make any sense. Yeah.
1: And it also, I mean, it doesn't excuse kids now from learning. Yeah. And, like, trying to fix things, but, like, it's very cool to, yeah. to just that they had, were clueless to yeah. the fact that why two male penguins couldn't be
0: married. That's so funny. I was
1: like, okay, well, <laughs> we can talk about this now. <laughs>
0: Are you ready for the Stonewall yes. riots? <laughs> Marsha P. Johnson. Um, so... When Leslie is approached to run for city council after the success of her harvest festival, she is honored and excited to take the next step in her career and do some good for the town. She arises victoriously and becomes the first city council woman in Pawnee after a long and emotional, difficult campaign vowing to change the town for the better, which like, I do love that scene where she puts her picture next to all the men that have been there before her. It's chilling. It really is. But the town, as we said earlier, is not ready to change and do what is seemingly best for them. Although the townies are funny and ridiculous. My brain just can't switch off the fact that I fucking hate them because they're so (laughs) stupid.
1: (laughs) I love the tattoo guy with the mustache. Oh my God.
0: (laughs) And like just things like when Leslie tries to tackle sex education for the elderly, she is forced into teaching abstinence by Marcia and Marshall Langman. And she's actually censured for breaking the law. Which is so aggravating. It's like, they're a hundred. That's because
1: she's less. in a flyover state. Yeah. <laughs> they don't know what's happening. They have no sorry. idea. I'm so
0: sorry. <laughs> Forgive me.
1: Um, but wait, who,
0: who do I hate? That's the dentist. I hate him. Jeremy Jam. Yes. Jam is the worst. Yeah.
1: Jam is the reason that she doesn't succeed in government. It yeah, has nothing to do with her. He no, it does He is doesn't. a literal male anti,
0: like, he hates her. Yeah. I mean, that's like. She, there's one, again, there's one storyline that I fucking hate where she's, all she's trying to do is extend the hours of the public pool and he won't sign on to the bill because he wants to use her bathroom. And it's like, that's why people hate the government. It's because of Jeremy Jam. Like, <laughs> yeah. So they switch offices. Yeah. They switch offices just so the kids can have a longer day, have at a the longer pool. day at the pool. Just, yeah. Oh that's my God. exactly right. So, um, <laughs> when she tries to make the town healthier by taxing gallon-sized sodas, which I love. How is this a child size? <laughs> well, it's roughly the size of a, a two-year-old child. child if you liquidated them. Oh, my God. Did everybody watched Parks and Rec. It's so good. <laughs> um, but she's threatened by the business association saying it will cause massive layoffs and causing the town to threaten to recall her because in their minds, all, the only information they're getting is like, you're pe- trying to pass this bill that's going to make me lose my job. Which is completely demonizing, like the person who's like trying to make things better. Yeah. Just, again, just a frustrating storyline. Um, <laughs> well, I do want to point out one of my favorite Townie quotes here, though, which is I forget what she's trying to do. Um, oh, it's when the city government shuts down. And they're like, yeah, unfortunately, the parks are going to be closed. And this one woman's like, what am I going to do with my kids all summer? <laughs> Keep them in my house where I live, which is so poignant right now because i put that on my story during quarantine <laughs> did you, did really? you see no. <laughs> i videotaped my television
1: saying that quote <laughs> what am i gonna do with my kids
0: <laughs> yeah it's
1: insane yeah the government yeah. shut down no public parks no public parks keep them in let them
0: burn themselves on
1: your fire yeah.
0: <laughs> and this is the thing there are literally a thousand examples of the things that leslie tries to do that people fight her on for literally no reason but As she says in the pilot episode, when people are yelling at her, she just feels like people are caring loudly at her. (laughs) One of the ways that we see her deep devotion to the town is through her hatred of Eagleton, Uh, the snooty (laughs) neighbors to Pawnee who snub the town any way they can. And this is why it is especially devastating to Leslie when she discovers that she was born in Eagleton due to a raccoon infestation at the Pawnee Hospital. (laughs) But when it comes time for the towns to merge because Eagleton has bankrupted themselves by like filling their pools with Evian bottled water. <laughs> Something ridiculous. She performs this incredible filibuster, ditching her husband's birthday party that She's she is in roller. Skates. She's in roller. <laughs> she has to pee. Um, she performs a filibuster to save the voting rights of the Eagletonians whom she fucking hate and they're not going to vote for her and they're not going to vote for her and she knows that and to vote for Kristen Bell yep <laughs> and they uh, she's recalled she's replaced with Kristen Bell from Eagleton who does and, have straight hair yes yeah, she does very very straight hair and, and she gains literally nothing from this but no. she just does it because it's, it's right The right thing to do. Mm. And that's why her love of Pawnee can be sort of an Achilles heel because she puts so much effort into this town, but it also does help her do her job properly. She works incredibly hard because she cares way too much and she is really effective at building relationships. And I love this scene when Ben Wyatt, her future husband, asks the head of police for a favor he like works the whole episode to like ask them for this favor and he thinks it's going to be such a big deal. And they're just like, yeah, whatever you want. Like, you know, whatever Leslie wants, like we'll give it to her. She has as many favors as she wants. And Ben's like, what? Why? And he said, well, because Leslie uses her favors to help other people, which I just love because she's perfect. Yeah. And this is how she has turned her whole office into, like office space into a supporting team, which brings us to the second thing that Leslie loves, which is female friendship. (laughs) (laughs) Leslie differentiates herself from women that I saw growing up by not only embracing feminine qualities, but female friends. Because, as she likes to say, ovaries before (laughs) brovaries. Every year, she famously hosts a Galentine's Day where she gathers her gal pals together and they have this empowering brunch full of waffles and presents. She takes her girlfriend so seriously. She really does. Like, I mean, she writes like a 5,000-word essay on why each of them is amazing and lovely (laughs) (laughs) and presents it to them at that Galentine's Day brunch. But it's not just presents and breakfast that she's giving her friends. It's opportunities and ideas we see her take april under her wing no matter how much she resists and she plans out her future but kind of unwillingly leaves room for april to make her own decisions (laughs) we see the overprotective leslie try and stop april and andy's marriage from happening but in the end she realizes that she was wrong and she can't like control april in that way she was like i was wrong and it's actually the best decision and and they're like the longest
1: standing couple in the fucking yeah. show.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then when she reveals her 10-year plan for April like when they're in DC, it's the end of the show and she's like I have your whole life mapped out for you. April wants to go her own way and Leslie takes it super personally yeah. and gets really upset. And then April comes back to her and she's like no, like you know this is the biggest testament that I can give you. It's like I don't need you to plan my own life because you made me confident enough to like go and make my own decisions. Oh yeah, and the, Leslie totally comes around to it.
1: The Leslie April mentorship is a beautiful, Ugh. beautiful testament. It really to is. like women helping
0: women. It really is, and she does the same thing with Anne and her <laughs> best best friend, and is perfectly content with her life. But Anne's Leslie, a beautiful goddess. I know. <laughs> i wish I, I should have like written down some of the things she, i know one is like a beautiful starfish
1: you're such a beautiful starfish goddess
0: <laughs> but like leslie sees the potential in her friends so she works to get Anne a job in the health department in the government which causes a huge fight because Anne doesn't want to do it and then leslie gets really mad at her again like leslie definitely has her faults but this is like the central pillar of the show i think is leslie and Anne's relationship And as we said earlier, the original concept for the show was all about Leslie growing as a person. And from the very first episode, that included Anne as a growth for their friendship. So Anne was always meant to be a really big part of the show. And her and Leslie's relationship was supposed to be like this central thing that like you saw grow over time, which is such a unique concept for a show that initially, like as much as we said, like a lot of the first season focused on Mark Brandanowitz really what we were supposed to be paying attention to was Leslie and Ann. And you really do. Cool. I think he's, do, a, he's a forgettable character. He really is. He
1: unfortunately doesn't matter at all. Nope. Or fortunately.
0: <laughs> Leslie always finds a way to fit Ann into her busy schedule and make her priority. She always tried to make Anne's life better by offering her opportunities, encouraging her in everything that she does and making her fun little nicknames. And the thing that I appreciate most as a female with a best friend is that it portrays their relationship as very simple, but very, very deep. So most of the time we see Leslie and Anne, they're just talking. They just get together whenever they have a moment and they talk. And I honestly feel that that is really what female friendship is. It's the most honest portrayal of
1: female friendship of like, Hey, we have two seconds. Let's go look at our phones. The bulleted list we created to
0: talk to each other.
1: Yeah. Here it is. Exactly. I know I have a post-it note that I use to talk to my best friend.
0: It's unbelievable to me that like sometimes Paige and I will spend four hours together and then she leaves. I'm like, oh, I forgot to tell her about this thing. You know, Mm -hmm. like I really think, I mean, think about their relationship. They never go anywhere together. Mm -hmm. They don't go any big trips. Nothing like major happens with the two of them. They are just there for each other. And yeah. I think that it's such a good, honest portrayal of a female friendship. It
1: is. It's wonderful.
0: And I love it. Um, and that brings us to thing <laughs> three that she loves, which is feminism. <laughs> there are a thousand things that make Leslie a strong female role model, but I love that she actively surrounds herself with strong women and even has a gallery of women who inspire her.
1: <laughs> and is that your
0: mom? Yes. <laughs> And I I love that it includes herself. It's one of my favorite lines that she has because she's showing Ben who's in D.C. and they're apart. And she's like, yeah, I am big enough to admit that I am often inspired by myself and my accomplishments. <laughs> which is something I think we could learn from. <laughs> she is also really invested in the female youth of Pawnee. She runs the Pawnee Goddesses. When a young girl was told that she wasn't allowed to join the Pawnee Rangers, Leslie took things into her own hands and created the Pawnee Goddesses. Their motto is, I am a goddess, a glorious female warrior, queen of all that I survey. Enemies of fairness and equality hear my womanly roar. Yeah. (laughs) And their catchphrases were freaking awesome. (laughs) They emphasize female leadership and friendship with with a touch of vindictiveness because she is trying to upstage Ron and his rangers how can you not how can you not her group is so popular that some of the boys want to join and she denies them because it's girls only which backfires spectacularly when her young goddesses Accuse her of displaying the same sexism that they were first privy to. I don't know if that's the right word. Yeah, you're right. Um, Privy. (laughs) But it's so great because they're literally going around, they're like, isn't that exactly what we're fighting against is that same sexism of exclusivity? Mm -hmm. And she's like, no, it's different. They're like, I don't see how it's different at all. You literally used almost the same exact words verbatim.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know. They're so
0: uptight. I love it. (sighs) The Gertrude Trude Stein is my favorite. Um, <laughs> some other notable feminist moments is when she stands up for Susan in the Pawnee pageant, which, by the way, for those looky-loo fans, Trish, who wins that pageant, is the chair model from The Office. I, I love Trish. I thought Trish I- was great. I've been on YouTube once. <laughs> <laughs> Trish is incredible. So great. Um, when she fights for, uh, women to have equal job opportunities by becoming a trash collector for the day and by (laughs) actively bucking the primary contest when Ben is running for Congress and she completely shits on men's right activists that are so pissed off at her because she won't bake a pie. Right. Oh, it's great. And she does have a great line there where she's like, God, you know, if you want, stay home, bake a pie or run for office, go do, go like do a job she's like nobody cares like it doesn't matter like this is not a big thing (laughs) no it's not um and Leslie also has this wonderful brand of feminism that is just like chock full of strong-willed empowerment and embracing feminine qualities she shows that you can be emotional and still be an effective leader you can cry and still be strong you can be quirky and weird but still relatable and you can stop working for a minute to take care of your friends and it doesn't mean that you're bad at your job and other times you can put your work first when you really need to and still maintain your relationships and last but not least you can eat waffles with a ton of whipped cream on them and still be in a professional meeting wearing a business suit (laughs) one of my favorite leslie quotes comes from her debate with bobby oh my
1: god go ahead and read it i wrote it down because i was gonna have you say it
0: it's so good she said after like a long thing about how much she loves plenty she goes if i seem too passionate it's because i care if i come on strong it's because i feel strongly and if i push too hard it's because things aren't moving fast enough which of course then bobby newport is like wow shit leslie that was amazing (laughs) like Paul Rudd's like you're the greatest yeah oh my (laughs) gosh it's just such a great moment that debate between them especially
1: when she's like Ben I can do this yeah and then she does
0: it it's like she's the queen she really is but as much as we laud her as a feminist hero another strong aspect of the show is that Leslie is not a perfect feminist she is always learning and growing and making mistakes We see her be really judgmental when her friends don't take her advice or do what she think is best for them. And I think the worst offense is when Anne decides that she wants to become a single mother and Leslie flips out and because she wants Anne to find her perfect soulmate. And Anne's like, you know what? I'm not going to wait around. I'm not going to put my life on hold. I'm gonna get a you know sperm donor. I'm gonna do this on my own, and Leslie like tries to sabotage it for Anne because she thinks that she knows what's best. And the end result is that Leslie realizes that she's wrong, and she says to Anne, "I tried to impose my dream on you, and that was wrong. I'm sorry." She apologizes to her because. Leslie is always changing and always learning, and I think that that's what makes her such a great, relatable character. It's so true. And another thing is she also holds in very high regard her male friendships. She surrounds herself with very supportive, strong women, but also surrounds herself with strong feminist allies. Andy, Ron, Tom, Jerry, and Chris are always willing to put themselves aside to help Leslie conquer her goals and enrich their life in the process, like Leslie also improves their lives, she oh my cares God, yeah, so much,
1: and they like they like hold her up on like political campaigns yeah. and shit, yeah, they're like fighting for her, yeah, um, and she earned their respect, yeah, for sure,
0: absolutely, well, and I think that that's why the show needed to make that turn in season two, mm. where it's like. In the first season, it definitely feels like they do not respect her at all. And that needed to change.
1: It didn't. Well, I think it's, it's more believable with a Michael Scott that there's a man who knows nothing and everybody still yes. answers to him. Yeah. But it's not believable with a woman Mm-mm. because they would immediately kick her out if they didn't respect her. Exactly. They needed to respect her. They and they do. To. And yeah. she's great. Yes. She's
0: written great. And she's mm. wonderful. She really is. And this brings us to her big, big love, Ben Wyatt.
1: Cones of Dunshire.
0: (laughs) Ben came to us in season two alongside Chris Traeger, and we got to see him slowly unwind and soften. We got to see him and Leslie fall in love, and we also got to see him fall in love with the town of Pawnee and Lil' Sebastian. (laughs) (laughs) And I just... I love that throughout the relationship, we see Ben make career sacrifices to be with Leslie and vice versa. She also makes sacrifices to be with him. And they make these sacrifices without holding it over each other's heads. Right. It's never like, well, I quit my job for you so we could be together. It's never ever thrown back in their face. And there is no more clear example of this when they get engaged and Ben leaves his job in D.C. to come be with Leslie and they had all these plans to like move forward and they had put it like, you know, down payment on a house or whatever it was. And, you know, she has to tell the agent like we have to back out like my boyfriend's not here. We were supposed to move in together and he's not here. And then he shows up and she's like, what are you doing here? And he's like, I'm thinking about my future. which Ugh. is like. Oh, just like obsessed the with Ben White. Best. <laughs> like Leslie never asked him to leave DC or made him feel guilty about his job. He did it because he, he made loves a choice her and he likes her. Ben also understands how important Anne is and he embraces that and connects with her rather than pushes her away and become jealous. And I just I love their relationship so so much. And they like go on to have triplets, and it's beautiful. And they <laughs> move to DC together and establish this lovely life while trying to balance work and home and both of their careers. While n- neither of them ever has to give up their dream, right? Which I think is such an important message for us to get on our TV screens that like they are both over full time <laughs> working parents. And they make it work.
1: And how often do we have a
0: sitcom focused around a woman politician? Yeah, exactly. Well, a lot now. But yeah, we a lot now. So. But-, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know. I just love them. I love their wedding. And I love that Anne makes Leslie's wedding dress. And she With newspaper. can't finish it. And she uses all the articles about all the things that Leslie's done. and And I really do love that they end their vows on... I love you and I like you because I think that that's what some people are missing sometimes, you know, the like you part, the like you part. Yeah. I love it. And many, and I like it. <laughs> and-, <laughs> and many people credit Mike. Sure. With this, he is responsible. Mose, That's his name. Cousin Mose. Oh, yes. <laughs> Many people credit Mike Sher with this because he is responsible for us falling in love with Jim and Pam, Jake and Amy and Leslie and Ben because of his ability to write compatible characters who not only make each other better, but they also do this while maintaining their own individuality. Because I think for a long time, TV shows thought that they had to bring in viewers with troubled relationships and drama and the on again, off again thing and Mike sure taught us that the central couple can just be good and stable. We
1: were on a
0: break! Oh my god. <laughs> I feel like Ross and Rachel killed it for everybody. They, Thank- I mean, <laughs> did they not? Yeah. And even in one of their like last scenes, it's just a total tribute to the loveliness that has been in Leslie. We see them many years in the future, and the Secret Service is with them, and it's clear that one of them is, is the, the president. Is the president of the United States! But we don't know which one, but as the viewers, we feel okay with it. I was never mad that I didn't know who it was because we trust that, like, each other, they're standing by each other. No matter who's president, like, the other one is most likely equally as much the president. (laughs)
1: Like, (laughs) I have chills because they both left political jobs in the dust for the other person at yeah. some point
0: at some point and they then both they both kept that. climbing so yeah. you
1: know one of them's president but you don't know who i know oh it's
0: so oh so touching so great probably should have put a spoiler alert on this episode
1: no um <laughs> if you haven't seen parks and rec it came out 10 years ago get over yourself <laughs> same with <laughs> hamilton same that started um, in 2015 <laughs> Parks and Rec is over by then
0: um, and of course I'd be remiss if I didn't dedicate the very end of my story to the woman who is the true reason why we love Leslie Nope so much Amy Poehler in her book Yes Please Amy starts the chapter Let's Build a Park by saying playing the Leslie Nope. Is as fun as it looks. <laughs> she talks about getting pitched the show as an office spinoff and Mike Sher describing her character as a low level parks employee with big dreams and a person who truly believed that one person can make a difference. And now, a thing to know about Amy when she started the show, she read the script, she loved it, she was very interested, but she had also just had a baby and it was a very rough delivery and she was recovering from that. Then she had to convince her relatively new husband, Will Arnett, to move their whole family to Los Angeles together from New York for this TV show that she didn't know if it was going to really get picked up. And she was also grieving the end of her SNL career because Amy Poehler loved being on SNL. She absolutely loved it because everyone loves Amy Poehler. (laughs) So she had a ton of friends. She was hysterical and fun and she was doing it with her best friend. Yeah. Yeah, like so the she, way she talks to Anne
1: is the way that she really thinks about Tina Fey.
0: Yeah, and also I found out from her book that her and Rashida Jones are like just as close. Oh, I'm sure, which I love. But yeah, she has Tina le-
1: Fey wasn't in any sketches.
0: She wasn't. She was just the news girl. Yep. Yeah. And so I mean, she like appeared in like a few, I think, yeah. but really not many. No. Um. And so she had to leave her best friend in New York while they're both starting their own shows, their own families, and. Now she's on this journey in this on the other side of the country, and she was like, I felt like fat and swollen, and I had a round belly and a round face because I just given birth. And she was like, I was trying to find this character, and we had been greenlit from the get go, so they didn't have to go through the pilot season. So basically. They were like, yeah, we'll give you thirteen episodes. So like, they did six. Are her and Will Arnett still married? No, they're not. That's what I thought. Yeah, so they split up a while ago. Um, she did date Dick Nick Kroll for a while. Yeah. Um, but they split up too. But, um, but yeah, and so she's going through all of this while making the first season, and she's putting everything into it. But as she says in her book, the show came together and blossomed into something wonderful with a Maya Angelou quote guiding them people will forget what you said, people will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. And this went for the cast, crew and audience. Basically, Amy and Mike worked really hard to make Parks and Rec a positive filming and writing experience. And it comes across. I owe like, I was crying a ton during this research because I was remembering how episodes made me feel. And I was remembering how amazing it felt to watch Ben and Leslie get engaged and get married, and how great it felt to see her win her elections. And just. And because you love her so much, you love the entire ensemble cast yeah, because absolutely. she loves them.
1: Uh huh. You needed nobody could have played the role the way she did. Yeah. No one. You bought in. You bought in immediately. Yeah. She was funny. She was kind. She was sweet. She was powerful. She was smart. It was so easy to buy
0: in. Yeah. Well, that's why, like, I always think, like, um, of this quote that Stephen Colbert had when, you know, he was worried about having his second kid because he was like, I don't want to love my first kid less because now I have a second one and I have to split my love. And someone was like, it doesn't work like that the love grows exponentially.
1: That's funny. I had a similar thing I said to my mom and she said, you just grow a second heart.
0: Yeah. You grow a new heart for the second kid. It's fine. Yeah. Now you have another one. Exactly. And if you want a closer look into this amazing relationship that she had with the cast and crew, just check out her book. Yes, please. She writes individual paragraphs about all of her co-stars. I mean, like all the main cast Mm co-stars And she only just has the sweetest, most glowing things to say about them and their time together. And everything includes a moment where she laughed the hardest with each person, which I love. And if you want a little taste of how good of friends they all actually are in real life, when Amy was going through her divorce with Will Arnett, Aubrey Plaza, who plays April, picked her up at the airport dressed as an alien to make her feel better. (laughs) In the end, it turns out, what was true about the park at Lot 48, true about parks and rec, and true about a lot of things, including, I think, right now, us fighting for social justice, it's going to take a lot of work and a long time, but it will be worth it. And that's just, I don't, I don't know if that made sense. I it just, did, that was great. I just like, it was great. it's too much to just go through her story. No, you're so right, you I was the like, perfect way. I'm just going to point out, Things. things that I like about Leslie.
1: <laughs> that was perfect. That was a perfect description of Leslie Nope oh on God. this on this 4th of July. On this 4th of July. Weekend, week. When you're going to have crabs, you're going to mm-hmm. have some drinks if you drink. Yep. And crabs if you're in Maryland. Yep. Hot dogs if you're anywhere
0: else. Ooh, and in Maryland. I can't wait to get a hot dog.
1: <laughs> I got some upstairs. I can microwave them in 30 seconds. Um... This is an incredible comparison. Yeah, it really is. I cannot wait.
0: So we're going to talk about these two women in a little segment we like to call Just Just the Two of Us.
1: I mean, square one, we mentioned the idea of the Bechdel test in Parks and Rec. Literally, Hamilton, all the women do is talk to each other about men. And it is, I mean that's the the mark of the 1700s yeah you were put in history literally because of the man that you were married to yep and Leslie's the complete opposite of that
0: yeah she absolutely is and again because we have modern people writing Leslie we can write those kinds of storylines but when you're a woman in the 1700s if you're like you're not writing letters to your best friends per se You're getting together because your husbands are off at war. Right. So those are the type of relationships that we don't get to see.
1: And even if you are Mm -hmm. your husband's confidant, it doesn't historically matter. No. So nobody's recording it. No, absolutely not. And, And it's just Leslie was Ben's confidant and he was her. They worked together. They were a team. And Alexander Hamilton will never go down in history saying that Eliza was his team. Yeah. No, he people didn't start accrediting their first ladies until way later on.
0: Yeah. Well, and I wrote that how, like, both of them were technically a part of power couples. But in Eliza's relationship with Alexander, all the power went to the top. It all went to Alexander, where Leslie and Ben, it is so communicable. I mean, they give each other equal support all the time because when one person's down, the other picks them up. And... I just feel so bad that like all of Eliza's energy was going into this man. And similar to how I feel like Alexander Hamilton and the town of Pawnee represent the same thing in both of their stories. This thing that they put so much effort into and they love so much and ultimately fails them. Like the town of Pawnee fails Leslie. Over and over and over again. Oh, they're assholes. She succeeds in the end, but because of herself. And I just feel the same way about Eliza. She succeeded in the end, but not because of Alexander Hamilton. No, it's literally she succeeded because he died. Exactly. He had to get out of the way. And then at the end of the show, I didn't mention this, but we see Leslie get this job in the Interior Department and we see her eventually probably become the President of the United States she had roots with Pawnee, and Eliza had her roots with Alexander, but they both did what made the most impact on their own yeah, and it it 's interesting because they they both lived this
1: very incredible. High class appropriate life. Yes. And they had people circulating around them. They had a, both Both of them had a mom and a sister who hit on their significant other. Yeah. They were told they needed to be more sexy or more mm-hmm. manly or more this or more that. And they just kept rising up in this world where people were telling them to act differently. And yeah. they could only act the way that they knew they were supposed to. Yeah. It's very interesting the way that they were treated in public. And I see them as very similar in their virtue.
0: Yes. They had similar virtue. Mm -hmm. Well, and I feel like they also, they both had a similar situation where they're very, very dedicated to this thing. And it kind of keeps kicking them down, but they're also dedicated to their own values and we see Leslie time and time again, especially with the sex ed episode. At the end, she's like, oh my gosh, abstinence only is ridiculous. This isn't helping you. There's not a devil in your vagina. Here's how you put a condom on a banana. Right. And like, I feel like Eliza did the same thing. She's like, I know that Alexander Hamilton's beneath me, but like, that's what I want to do. And, and I'm going to. And I'm going to. It, that's exactly it. They both did what they were going to because they believed in themselves.
1: And they're both so fucking spiteful. Oh, my gosh. The grudges these women have, it's great. I love the fact that Leslie hates Megan Mullally. Oh, my God. I love that she hates the library. I love that she stands up for her friends no matter what. And I feel like Eliza Hamilton was very similar. Yeah. We get to hear about her grudges. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. But she stood up for people. That's just what she did. She was like, you know what? Fuck you. Yeah, my husband cheated on me, but you made him say it in the paper. Like, mm-hmm. we could have handled this shit privately if yep. you weren't being such an asshole, which most couples do handle cheating situations privately. And there is no right answer. I'm never here to say you should leave your husband or a significant other, whether it's a male or female. You should stay with your significant other. Like, nobody's here to tell you that. But you should never be forcibly outed in the fucking newspaper. No. And it led me to Shauna tweet <laughs> in my head. And, and yes. things being on and off the record yeah. all the time. Yeah. And people didn't have that same concept of on and off the record back then. No.
0: Absolutely not. And I kind of kept thinking while you were talking like, What would Eliza have, what more would have Eliza have accomplished if she had a Ben Wyatt versus an Alexander Hamilton?
1: Or up 200 years on her side. Yeah. Of like better America. She
0: did so much that we don't talk about. And I just, I feel like we, we miss out on not talking about Eliza. And it makes me really sad that like, again, like I said in the beginning, Leslie Knope almost feels like more of a real person than eliza hamilton does
1: it just sucks so bad that like we can watch this fictional character bumble and still believably end up as the president of the united states and all of these women from the 1700s who were working their asses off to build this country no notoriety no dollar bills nope no government positions, nothing. Nothing. And there are so many women who did so much more than just cook dinner and have babies. Yeah. And if that's all they did, who cares? That's still awesome. My gosh, that's
0: like the, like, I can't even do that. (laughs) Well, it's also like, we don't have founding fathers without founding mothers. Like there are so many women who were making shit happen at the ground level. And like, just how, just like Leslie says, she's like, if you want to stay at home and cook dinner and be a housewife, like th- good, make that choice. But if you want to go to work, also make that choice. Like at the end, it doesn't matter. If you want to cook a pie in a competition, cook, cook a, a goddamn
1: pie. pie. I'll cook or a pie Or a calzone. Who cares? <laughs> Whatever you want to do. Just don't get food poisoning from yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I loved when, um, you said government sucks, but Leslie loves it. Mm. I feel like that's exactly how Eliza felt. Yeah. Government sucks, but I love it. Eliza loved it. Yeah. Because she didn't run away Mm -hmm. after Alexander left. She like headstrong went in and was like, I'm going to start this nonprofit and then I'm going to move to DC and then I'm going to raise money to build this huge monument, which if you're not from the Washington or Maryland region, you know, the Washington monument did not go up in one stead halfway through. If you look up the statue, with obelisk <laughs> the the stones changed color because we ran out of money to build it so halfway up people had to start fundraising and the second half of the bricks are a separate color <laughs> and a lot of people that aren't from around here
0: don't know that that it was a huge yeah. effort to memorialize our first president yeah it's a crazy it's crazy no it absolutely is and like and it was women getting that done yep women who knew George
1: Washington,
0: who also is not perfect in history, but we're like ready to like make it happen. Yeah. No, I love that again because it kind of makes me think of how throughout history women have always been the story keepers and the secret keepers and they're the ones that memorialize the men doing all the things because they weren't allowed to do the shit. They were just continuing the stories and having them live on. And
1: Leslie and April are sitting on the reflecting pool in one of those last episodes talking about April's future. Yeah. That's the monument that Eliza built that they're sitting in front of. They're sitting there Mm. looking at it, discussing their female futures that they
0: have. Yeah. And Eliza didn't have a future. No, she didn't. Oh, God.
1: It's crazy. The women in politics are built off of women who didn't get the chance in politics. Yeah. Well, so and cool.
0: I think it's really poetic, too, that in the end of both of their stories, they ended up living in D.C. Mm. in like the epicenter of like the system that has for so long been actively working against them.
1: Mm. Beautiful. Beautiful. It
0: is. All
1: right. I think tonight we all need to listen to the last song in Hamilton, <laughs> which if you haven't listened to it, it's called Who Lives, Who Dies, Who Tells Your Story. And it is literally dedicated to her. Which is my, my daughters think that Hamilton is not about Alexander Hamilton. Yeah. Because of the last couple songs, they're like, oh, clearly the musical's called Hamilton because it's about
0: her. Yeah. Which is so cool. Oh, and that's why it's not called, like, Alexander. Yeah. Uh-oh. That's what that.
1: they think. I think that's very cute. But, and, and when you listen to the last song, and you can tell by the song that the lights go down on her standing in the middle of the stage, mm-hmm. that's just in my brain. We'll see. On July 3rd. Yeah. <laughs> tomorrow, if that's true. But that, I mean, you can tell that the lights fade on her standing alone on the stage and it's just her. Yeah. So that's how Leslie Nope's life goes down.
0: Mm,
1: I love it. As the president. But we don't know which one it is, but it's clearly
0: her. Oh, clearly. <laughs> oh, my girl. Are you ready to toast? I'm ready to toast. Let's do it. Okay. Who, who would you like to toast this evening So I want
1: to toast this evening women living in the shadow of a powerful spouse or significant other mm. I think it it must be so hard to be publicized constantly and to make a name your own especially when you're with somebody who is either famous or a politician or maybe they're just in your family and they tend to be a significant other that's taken more seriously yeah that's so very hard because then when you speak they overspeak you and like just creating your own history within that when you know that you're the possibly the lesser of the two people even though you're such an equal part of the relationship I'm going to toast to those women Mm. who are sitting in that equality that no one sees. Yeah. So. Cheers. Cheers to them.
0: And what about you? I, of course, am going to toast women who care too much, feel strongly, and love intensely. And like you. And like me. (laughs) I love you and I like you. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers. Um, all right, time for a promo all right what are you enjoying in pop culture this week
1: okay i've been watching this stupid fucking show called oak island
0: oak <laughs> wait is this the mystery of oak island uh-huh. on discovery channel or something yeah okay so, about the buried treasure yeah mm-hmm. i love a show like that even yes. though nothing ever happens no it's all people thinking something's
1: gonna happen and it never happens and you know it wouldn't happen because if it did happen it, it would, would be, be bigger in the news. news yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of
0: like when the show like tv was like Chris Angel died during a stunt. (laughs) He's like, no, he didn't. It's like, no, he didn't because it would have, there would have been a funeral. This thing was (laughs) filmed months ago.
1: Listen, I know what happened when Dumbledore died. People (laughs) raised their wands. It's fine. Um, Yeah, Oak Island's great. So it is just this like rich oil. Tycoon and his brother, and they found all the other people who used to dig up treasure on this island off the coast of Nova Scotia, and it's just like a boys' party, and they're just like out there digging up treasure. And I just think it's such a positive way to use your boy energy, like or your female energy. But there, I've only seen one female in the entire show. Yeah, so far. I'm sure. But it's like you know <sighs> what? Listen, if you're going to be out at like strip clubs or like betting your money on football or like doing stupid fucking boy shit, like. This is fun to watch. Like, dig up some fake buried treasure, man! Go for it!
0: Dude, because I listened to like a whole thing about Oak Island and that shit is crazy it is because like a great show there are like, I mean, like every like what, 30 feet, there's like a platform yeah, and then 30 feet down, there's a platform and like all these canals and tunnels under the island. And like they're
1: just like digging through that shit. And like people are dying yeah, on this island. Yeah, people have died. Oh my Six gosh. Six people have died trying uh, to dig up treasure.
0: I love the story of Oak Island. It's so. great. And
1: the show. What could, is the
0: show on?
1: Um, so right now you can get the first season on Netflix. Netflix, but there oh, are multiple okay. seasons that haven't uploaded yet that you can also watch um, from like discovery and you know, I, I love like the
0: idea of a show with no end in sight
1: it is not
0: even like every episode ends with something like positive <laughs> like they're literally <laughs> digging for a treasure that for might no, not even exist. exist
1: but I the reason Ugh. I started watching it is because my my dad is really into like weird discovery channel shows like that and he's just like look, it's a half hour. I just really think like you and Jake might just like enjoy like vegging out to it. And it's exactly what we do. We turn on one half an hour episode before Mm. we go to bed and we usually fall asleep before the end. There we go. Because it is just...
0: Because, you know, they're not going to find the treasure. They're not going to miss anything. It's just a
1: rich, (laughs) rich oil tycoon and his brother and stepson. And, like, they're all just, like, on this island together while their wives are back home basking in all the money their husbands have made. And I'm like, I love that. I love it. It's a dumb show, and it's totally worth falling asleep to. (laughs) (laughs) So my promo is fall asleep to Oak Island. (laughs)
0: Love that. What is your promo? Oh, well, all right, so this goes along with my promo, but I can't remember if I actually included this point. Um, but I'm going to promo Parks and Rec because I really think that people should watch it because uh, I was watching an interview with Mike Schur and he was like, we really want... Oh, no, <laughs> it was a part in the Yes, Please book. So basically, Amy wrote about the show and then Mike... Na- Mike made little annotations on Ooh. the side of it. And it's very well done. That's cute. And basically one of the things that I loved most that he said was he was like, we decided that we were never going to make Leslie feel ashamed of how she was feeling. And she was going to wear her heart on her sleeve. And that was just going to be who she was because I felt like there was like a lot of like shame and embarrassment in those first six episodes. And I just want to promo Parks and Rec because we just spent the last hour talking about it. And it's such a great show. And with such powerful female characters, such powerful female characters. I mean, Donna Meagle, we have to do a whole separate episode on her because her life is insane. (laughs) Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Um, but yeah, just watch Parks and Rec if you haven't. I mean, you can skip the first season if you want. I mean, I feel like you should watch it because it's only six episodes. It's but six
1: episodes. It's worth it. You get a good foundation of do. the fact that Ron
0: likes breakfast food.
1: Yep, that's all you need. Tom yeah. Haverford, little annoying. Mark Brenowitz, he's gonna leave. Yeah, so. he's gonna leave. So don't worry about it's that. Fine.
0: And but, Goddess, oh, the best. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I just want people to watch the show because if you haven't seen it, it's really good. So, um, so yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for listening. Don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That means the absolute world to us. We love it. I'm just going to have to move this section to the
1: beginning of the podcast. We love you on Facebook. We love you on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, LinkedIn, all of it. You have been so great. You've been talking to us. Mm, it's, it's so beautiful. nice. We love any comment we see, even if we don't like or respond to it. I swear to God we see it, even if it's like a day or two late. Yeah. We just have actual jobs. Yep, <laughs> and, I know. And we don't get paid for this yet. No, nope. we get semi-paid by some of our Patreons, but really that just pays for us to have a uh, internet.
0: Yep. <laughs> so thank you again for listening and never forget that well-behaved women rarely have dishes in their sink. They. <laughs> <laughs> and they rarely make history. Goodbye. Bye.